Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. My guests today are the legendary Dave Ellison and Guillermo Miranda from the band Death. Now, I know I'm in a band called Doth, who has covered a band called Death. This is neither of them. This is Dave Ellison's new band. Super stoked to have talked to him. It was a really great conversation. Here goes. David Ellison and Guillermo, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Good to be here. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Anytime. I'm curious about about something, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you've all noticed this, but usually there's exceptions. But usually, when you take uh, multiple people who have already been in bands and you put them together, the result often sucks. Like it just does. I mean. Straight up, it just does. Uh, every once in a while, it comes out good. Um, every once in a while, like it, it stands on its own, like beyond just the fact that the people in it have a history or whatever. Uh, so, what I'm curious is, in your opinions, why do most uh, quote unquote super groups? Why do they get? Why are they not considered real bands? And what's the difference, like? What are what do you think makes it work when it does work? Well, look, pretty much everybody in my phone book is famous because we all grew up together, right? And at one point we weren't famous because we were just the new guys coming up, right? So when I call someone to like play a solo or do something like that, it's you know it's probably someone you've heard of, you know. Um, and that doesn't mean it's a super group. That just means you know I trust him because he's made a lot of records. He's a professional, and that's who I want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm kind of past working with the amateur phase, you know. So when I got the email from uh, Galerme, his name, his reputation, and his discography spoke for itself. I'm like, ah, that's a good name to put in the phone book. You know, there's a guy that's pro- I probably trust him. He knows what he's doing. Uh, same with me, Hall. So with this, this wasn't a you know concerted effort to put together a super group. I think, um, and I'll let Glaremay answer as well. But you know, I think it was Glaremay was looking to restart his musical life, his next chapter. I'd already been down these roads a few times in my life and my career. So when I got the email from someone else looking to do it, I'm like, yeah, hey, I've already done that. I know, I know how this is done. And so for me, part of me was kind of like. Sure, man. Stand next to a brother who's who's wanting to, you know, get started on on the second act of his life and his career. And, um, you know, I'm always down with that. And um, and 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 probably first before that is, hey, let me hear the song. (laughs) And when he sent me the song, I'm like, this is fucking cool, man. And and probably what was most challenging for me was like, where the hell is he putting his fingers on the fingerboard? Like I've never heard, you know, chord shapes and voicings like this, you know, and we're talking about in the hall of the hanging serpents, you know? So for me, there was this intrigue about it that I think led to us just kind of taking it one phase at a time, finish one song, do a video, put it out, see how it responds. And, um, you know, so for us, this whole thing was very organic. I, I do agree that when you just take a bunch of names and throw them into a pot and, try to make celebrity soup, you know, it usually is kind of yucky, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, we did not do that here. That's not what our story is. So our, our story is three lads from different countries and different cultures and three different walks of life, all sort of being on a similar path and 
kind of how the, you know, the powers that be brought the three of us together. So I, you know, that's, Uh that's our story. And I think one interesting thing, just to add to what David said, because I agree 100% with him, but we had a call right before he took his flight to Gdansk, before I flew from here to Gdansk to, to record in the Hall of the Hanging Servants. And we had this discussion briefly. We were like, man, is this going to be a collab, a super group? Are we going to record this video, you know, like in a pro way or, or whatever? And then we, we got to a conclusion like, you know, in life, everything depends on your posture. You know, if we act like a project, we're going to be a project. If we act like a super group, it's super group. And then David said, man, let's be a band. If we act like a band, then we're a proper band, you know, and then uh, we took it from there. I mean, you basically are what you say you are, I think. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then we decided to be a band, you know, like to do things together, to write songs together. And... I think that's like, I think you guys nailed it. I think my theory on the difference is that, you know, someone for, the band they got known for, right? And whatever band that is went through a very organic phase, obviously, where, and they had chemistry, probably went through members that didn't, they didn't have chemistry with. And eventually over many years, you ended up with what you know. And with, I think, super groups, you get people who are, they're great musicians most of the time, but the chemistry thing hasn't had time to really play itself out. Like just because they're great doesn't mean that everyone's going to be speaking the same language musically. So I think that people will jump into bed together too fast musically. Um, whereas the bands are known for took a long time. The sounds of me like, yeah, you guys hit it right on the head. It's taking your organically step at a time and really, you know, really getting it right. Well, and the other thing about it is, too, is the songs. Like, are the songs any good? Because at yeah. the end of the day, you know, once people buy the album because it's got some sticker on it that says, you know, featuring so-and-so, you know, and that's just all marketing is all that is, right? And so once you hear it, I mean, that's that stands the test of time, you know? And um, look, I've done quite a few things outside of, you know, the band I'm probably most known for. And people have kind of become accustomed to it. And and some of them were just, hey, I'm here, I'm a member amongst members. Other times, you know, Metal Allegiance, it was intentionally a super group. It was a, a pulling together of all the brothers and sisters of our community, you know. Um, even, you know, I did Ellison No Cover Record. That was during COVID. I called everyone up and said, hey, our tours are canceled. We're off the road indefinitely. Let's record. Let's keep our nose up. Let's keep creating. Let's do something. You know, made a super fun record, you know, just to be, you know, of cover songs. So, you know, these things come in a variety of shapes and sizes. I think what's different about this one is um, this was a very clear, intentional reset and new path. And that had a whole different ring to it for me. And learning about, you know, Guilherme's, um, you know, his history where where things left off with Entombed, AD and whatnot. And um uh, Mihal, we're just kind of where we all were. And it's interesting that it was January, 2022. So new year, new month, new beginning, like it was all new, right. And meeting new friends. And I think, you know, when we got together, okay, we recorded the song, we mixed it. I was literally outside on my patio out here and Glare and I were talking and he says, man, this sounds great. Let's do some more. And, um, you know, the answer is, sure, why not? You know, this we've got success with one. It sounds pretty good. And then when we got together and get asked to make, to shoot the video, 
you know, that was the first time we'd been in the room together. And I'm glad we did it quickly on song one because, you know, so many of these internet records, you know, and with digital, and I love digital recording. I really do. But the one thing about it is, is you can make damn near anything sound awesome. And so when we got in a room together, it, we got to look each other in the eyes, sit down, break bread, hang out, do photos together and, you know, really feel like, I don't know, like, do, how do we look? You know, does this look like we're in a band or does this look like we've been photoshopped together to make a photo? <laughs> you know? And again, keep in mind, we were coming out of COVID, you know, and, and so this was like, yeah, we're sick of this shit. I mean, we are ready to freaking get in a room and throw down and, and be a rock band. And, and so... I think it was just this this perfect alignment of of moment in time for this thing to really you know hit its proper downbeats and and really be a, a nice reset musically for all three of us together. I'm curious about the reset idea, just because uh, it's it's kind of personal to me because my band Doth took twelve years off and I stopped playing when I started my companies, and then at the end of twenty twenty one, just changed my mind and started it up again. But it's with a mostly new lineup. And um, I've noticed that at the beginning, and I'm curious if you've both experienced this, at the beginning, I guess because so much time had elapsed and people got used to a certain lineup, they only saw it that way. So they only saw me inhabiting a certain position among those people. And they only saw the band Doth as those people. And there was a lot of resistance to doing it differently redefining what it means, redefining what it is. And I'm wondering if with the two of you both having histories and known bands, basically going out there with a, with a new one, basically that reset, was there resistance? Like, do you ignore that? Um, what, like, what's your experience of that? Man, I think that um, one of the things that is really cool is that all this process we've done in Gdansk, uh, and, then, and then here talking about chemistry, sometimes you... You can't you can't predict that, right? You know the interaction because the interaction between in between, in between people creates a, a, another thing, you know. So the interaction between us three creates the entity diet, you know. And then we've been through this whole process of being in hotel together, doing pictures together, recording the video, recording the song and stuff. And then when once we're in a band, it's uh, much more than just a working uh, professional relationship. There's a lo- you, you're together the whole time, you know. So it's like. I've been in, in bands and in tours that you wake up and you go to the hotel uh, breakfast and you're like, oh man, I'm going to sit with that guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then in our case, I think it was cool because we were like, man, let's have an omelette together. Yeah. And then everything yeah. had a good flow, which I think this was the lucky side of it because we liked from the beginning to be near each other, you know? And I think that all these little small processes added to the whole organic feeling that everybody's getting this from being a band and then going to that from that to the reaction from people you know i think that uh, i've been i've been playing guitar on it for many years and doing backing vocals and i've done vocals in other bands and stuff and many people were telling me like uh, even lg actually in some into demos uh, i didn't have time to go to his place and record him and he was calling me like dude put your vocal on the demos pretend they were me <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so we get, we get something going, you know. So I think that at the end of the day, people wanted to see this. And when David uh, started this band, playing something super heavy in another tuning, but with his whole bass, his, the clearly the clarity of his bass playing of the, his bass tune on something pretty 
pretty much heavier, uh, like according to the press, the heaviest thing that he has done. I think people were just thrilled by it because it became something new, something organic, and uh, nobody, nobody complained that at least that we've seen. Nobody came to us like, ah, oh, man, I would like to see you on that lineup doing that. You know, I think everybody was happy. Like, yeah, man, you guys done something different, something new. It's fresh and sounds powerful. You know, it's organic. So that's the feedback we've got so far. You know. Once people hear the music, right? I think that's the, that's kind of the, the true test. I I think resistance that people might have to something yeah. is because they haven't, because there hasn't been something new to change their perception yet. So they're kind of there. Well, even like you know, if you have a new band but you haven't put anything out yet, and you know it's awesome, but uh, nobody else does. They just know you for what you did in the past. Like they, they can't. They're not omniscient, so they have no way of understanding what's coming up. But I think that once the new music comes out and people are impressed with it and do love it, maybe are even surprised by it, then it's that's it. That's what you're defined as now. That's uh, that's what you do now. I've noticed in the in the eyes of the public. And I'll say also when I heard it, I was uh, impressed and surprised. It's uh, it's badass. I Thank was you. Uh, really happy when I heard it. Actually. Thank you, man. Thank you. So I'm curious about the writing process because, you, you know, you were mentioning writing over the internet versus being in person. I've noticed that writing over the internet really does have a lot of advantages because, you know, you don't have that problem of being in the room with somebody. It's so loud. It's so loud. You don't know if they're playing a note, a half step off or something right. like there's just, yeah. you can't hear there you can just you can feel but you know in the room is great for feel but it's not great for like actually hearing details and so mm. the thing that internet or home the home recording thing allows for is to really 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 get granular and work out every last detail i think the part that's missing sometimes is the feel aspect it sounds like you guys took care of both yeah, I mean, I, I think this went through two phases of writing. One was uh, Glermé sending over that first song in the Hall of the Hanging Serpents and all of us rallying around that. And of course, he and Michal, you know, can see each other uh, in Poland. And as we talked, my first introduction was on the video shoot. But I can tell as soon as I watched Glar- or as soon as I watched Michal hit the drum, I knew that guy's a fucking great drummer. And every metal band is only as good as its drummer, period. Right? Yes. So, you know, and... Uh, That's a fact. So that... Oh yeah, right, that's a fact, right? So we got great riffs, and then can the drummer play? Oh yeah, you can play. All right, good. So we that chemistry seemed to work, right? And we could hear musically it was working. But I think initially, uh, and I deferred to Galerme and still do as sort of the master composer of these songs. You know, like I send stuff over all the time, and you know, this is this is my DAW right here, my <laughs> iPhone. I literally set it up, and I, I like I'll riff through things, and I'll send it over. Hey guys, check it out! I did, like the other day, I think I sent over three new ideas that I had. It just came to me. You know, I had a cup of coffee. Fuck it, I'm gonna write some riffs, and it you know it's just a feeling. So I sent them over. We put them in a folder, and and you know, Glermay's, um you know, sort of the, uh, you know, he's our, he's our Mozart, you know, he's the guy who, uh, you know, who sort of takes it all and puts it under his guys. And, and I've been in a band with a guy like that before. So it's not foreign to me and I'm comfortable with it. And I like it because you can't have three, 
chiefs all running around trying to be the boss. You just can't, you know, bands don't always work as with everything being democratic. And I think musically there needs to be a mastermind. I mean, I look at that, one of my heroes, Steve Harris with Iron Maiden, you know, there's always a guy who kind of defines it, you know, um, and as much as it's collaborative and as much as we all share in the writing, um, I think for me, there came a point where I was, you know, going, okay, either I'm going to just kind of play bass to Glermay's songs, or maybe I should send some stuff over and, and get a feel for how my music fits inside of this band. And that was pretty early on, uh, early in 2022. And I sent a folder of riffs over and Glermay, you know, gave me the thumbs up, really liked it. We've since, you know, incorporated some of that stuff. I would send over like heavy as the crown is one. I just, I wrote it and it's funny. I started playing a piano, right? It was just something. And I went, you know, this, I can't finish it. So I picked up my guitar and I dropped it down into the art tuning and I was like, and then it worked, right? All of a sudden it was like, oh, this is cool. So I was excited. And I kind of wrote this melody, this vocal melody over top of it. And right away, Glare May and me are like, fuck, dude, you're singing this one. So next thing you know, oh my gosh, shit, now I became a singer. What the fuck? I should stop sending these guys riffs, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it just developed, you know? It sounds pretty organic. I'm curious about two things. Um, Guillermo, when you're getting, so I guess if you're like, the, you know, I guess the main writer guy, when it comes to getting ideas from other people, what's your process for incorporating them? Um, like, do you get, will like you get ideas from someone and then try to work it into a song you already have or get their ideas work, like try to write around their ideas? Like what's the, what's the process for you with that? Man, actually it works in, in many, many different ways. For example, for Don't Get Mad Yet, even when David sent me that lyric, I had that riff in mind like the, that became the chorus for a long time. And then I, I don't know, I just read that phrase and it clicked on me like, man, that chord, that riff, that, that bar is going to fit with this word here. And then the whole song connected like with some stuff I've had written before. Everything connected for real in, in a matter of hours, man. I've done the whole demo sent to Miho and Miho started working on the drums straight away. And the uh, the drum fill intro and the intro for the main riff when he plays that was a different drum fill that I had thought about before and then Michal told me can I work around it and the song became bigger and bigger you know so this is one of example of how the process works when David sent Heavy is the crown I liked a lot the riffs so my idea was just to play around the guitars and hear how it would sound with my distortion here you know how cool was would that be and then I had some riff ideas and some things to connect there, and it worked on this direction too. And sometimes I have I have a lot of riffs and material, you know, spread around my my. I use Logic here to record, so sometimes I enter on Logic and I record like one two riffs, and I save it. And then some I, I don't even remember. And then sometimes I just go to my folder and it's written like uh, new stuff part three. And then I click there, <laughs> compare with something I received from the guys, and I said, okay, let's see if we can connect this these ideas, you know? So there's many ways to, to do that, you know? Many, many ways. Do you kind of have the big picture of the song or the songs kind of floating around in your head in some abstract way to where uh, you'll get an idea given to you by someone and it'll kind of make sense for something you kind of had in mind and then you go to the DAW and see if you're right or not? Yeah, sure thing, sure thing. I do that a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think that this thing of recording 
over the internet and sending demos before and changing tracks before we sit down and record the, the real album. It's just amazing, man, because I like to produce a lot of demo in the song because sometimes I, you have a riff in mind and you're like, okay, man, this is the new Master of Puppets riff. Let's record this and see how it sounds, you know? And then you record and you listen to it and it's far beyond good, you know? <laughs> and then you say like no it's better to not even send this to the guys let's not bother them you know? so I, I really like this process of recording and hearing the riffs and you know uh, checking how it, it can become a song I like to study song structures and many things like that you know it's a process that I really enjoy doing and there's there's no rule for doing that you know there's there's many ways of doing songs and connecting riffs and you know putting the puzzle together I really like the science of this you know one thing that I think is kind of cool now that I know I'm probably going to be singing more stuff is, you know, when I, when I, when I write, I always try to think about, cause we all, you know, do the lip curl is a badass riff, you know, this is cool. But then at some point it's like, someone's got to sing over this. Right. And, you know, now knowing what our sound is, you know, the first album, you know, there's this, this old adage, you've got your whole life to write your first album in about nine months to write the second one. Right. <laughs> so uh, now we've carved the sound, right. This, the die has been cast. We know what the sound of the group is. And we intentionally went really wide on the variety of music on it, which I'll get to that here in a second. But, you know, now knowing also that there's this vocal capability in the band, you know, I think, you know, when I compose, I like to always think about, okay, now here's the verse. What's happening with the singing? You know, what's the vocal melody? What What is this? And then uh, sometimes the lyric writes itself. Sometimes it's just a melody. And like Guilherme said, we put a melody and a riff together. You know, the second phase of the writing of this record really happened when we were over at the studios in Germany back in September and October. That was a phase of the writing and or actually and, re and recording when we were all together in the room, the three of us. And that was a so up, up to this point, there was, I don't know, four or five songs that we were all working on uh, over the Internet. And then once we got in the room, you know, now there's this there's all kinds of different things. There's body language. There's there's, you know, how do you read the room? And like we were talking about, don't get back it even I. um we had the song and I, I mentioned, you know, how about we make this like a sports anthem, you know, like kind of a we will rock you. And I don't get that to get even right. So we worked together to compose that intro to give this. I was thinking kind of UFC and NHL hockey, you know, this kind of rowdy, you know, kind of fucking, you know, thing uh, sports driven. So we, you know, worked together to compose our, our intro on that. And then Guilherme brought up, he brought up, uh, he goes, man. And this is where the body language comes in. He goes, man, you guys, uh, we think about doing a ballad, right? <laughs> now, the B word is a very fucking sensitive subject in a fucking super heavy metal band, right? <laughs> and I remember when you brought it up, it was kind of like, you know, like, am I going to think these guys going to throw trash and knives at me or what, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and I remember it was like, yeah, I mean, what do you got? Let's hear it, you know? And um, so... You know, it's one thing to send things over the internet. It's another to be in the room and do it. And and I'll say for me, singing was probably that. Really being in the room and singing and just kind of... Because you've only got one voice, you've got one sound, and that's what it is, you know? So Walk With Me Forever was this song that was very personal to Guilherme. And it's interesting how, you know, I just stepped up to the mic to offer 
just a couple of little vocal melody ideas to just we're, just we're still just working the melody out to be honest with you you know these type of collaborations happened in that phase which i will call kind of the second phase of the writing and the recording there was kind of a b and a c studio there and we worked a lot in the in the b room on we're like always we're working on singing and writing and Glaramay's producing and cutting and putting things together. So it was like this really productive machine, man. It was like, it was like a, it was like an assembly line. One studio's got this going on. This studio's got that going on. Glaramay's over here editing and doing stuff. So it really became this really fun process where we show up at the, at the warehouse every day, if you will. And, and, and it's like, you know, the, there's just this, this uh, creativity going on in three different rooms of the record. Out of curiosity, um, in phase one, how many of the parts, this is like a two parter, but number one in phase one, how definite or final are the parts first of all? And second of all, either or David, when you send, ideas to each other how arranged are they are they just your instrument or are they like a full band arrangement like what what do they sound like oh you take a g yeah when i when i'm on the first phase here as i told you i like to, to do the riffs first and see if they work like if i if i record myself and hear the riff and the riff is cool enough for me to share with the guys by itself then i move yeah by itself then i move on because usually usually i have some some stuff in mind and like these days these days, for instance, I was I was on the road here on the plane, and I was like, man, I want to write like a, for the new album. I, I have some riffs recorded here. I want I want to have one old school death metal riff to enter a new album, like you know, with the two feet at the door, you know, like breaking the door. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then this riff is in my mind here. I'm sure that I'm gonna record. And then I like to record one guitar, then I record two guitars, then I start to build up the wall. I like to get like drum samples and drum loops. To, to and I like to produce the drum sound a little bit for me, you know, because I like to listen to songs that I can headbang to. Because I'm like, man, if you don't like your own music, how are you going to put this out? You know, <laughs> it's impossible. So first, I like to enjoy the process, have some coffee, and think like, man, this this is cool. And then, and then uh, it depends on on how the, the song is progressing. I throw some demo vocals there, you know, at least some whispering or a few lines here and there. And then as, as much as much solid as I can get it, then I share with the guys. You know, that's phase one for me. So sometimes this takes a week to put to put a whole idea together and send to the guys. And I like to do some sort of a pre-mix. So, you know, people don't get annoyed by getting, you know, that super bad sound that you have to struggle mm-hmm. to listen to. I like to put some to add some filters, add a little master bus there so people get a a clean, com- compressed sounds that, that they can identify, you know, one, two guitars, melodies, vocal lines, and drum ideas, you know. So that's that's my phase one process. Makes sense. So you don't write the, the initial riff with drums. It's all just the guitar by itself. Then you'll start arranging it and just to see if it actually works. But I guess what I'm curious is, when it comes to writing drum parts, does your drummer um, rewrite them? Does he write what you played or does he improve on what you played? Like, how does that work? Uh, it works on the on all these ways that you mentioned because some drum parts, sometimes I, I, I end up writing here some drums because as I told you, I want to see the whole thing as the whole picture works together, you know? Because sometimes you have a really cool riff and also put drums here. I don't know what happens that it, 
it doesn't click, you know? And then you're like, no, so maybe this idea doesn't work. Let me move on to something else, you know? So I like to elaborate uh, as, as much as I can on drums. It depends on my talent and patience to do that, you know? Because I'm not a drummer, so sometimes to dwell too much on that can spoil the whole song. And then I send that to Mihal, and maybe Mihal has a totally different approach. He knows how to cut grids differently and to count the tempo in other ways, and that adds a lot to the music. And then in some parts, he just sent me messages like, man, can I do something totally different on my side here for this riff? And I gave him the green light totally on that. I said, like, man, I want your soul on this song so people can notice and they can feel that it's you playing. It's not that I sent you some MIDI drums and you play for the for the grid just copying it, you know? So we have a lot of back and forth, me and Mihal, mm -hmm. until we nail, like, one version of a riff, you know? Yeah, it's... I feel like uh, I, I go back and forth because our drummer is so good. I don't... You probably know him. It's a dude named Krim. He's, like... He's unbelievable. And everything gets better once he gets involved. So, yeah. like, it just... There's only so good it's going to get with my drum programming... It's just as soon as he gets involved, I get better ideas and it gets better. But then sometimes there are certain ideas that you need fake drums to really to really present them properly. Because if like maybe it's a super simple guitar part that uh, is supposed to be more of a vibe or, you know, an ambience or something. And yeah. without the rhythm, it did, I'm just giving that as an example. Like there's there are certain ideas that are just you can't really communicate what's in your head without some sort of a basic guide. You need something to play for, right? Uh, yeah. I, I feel drums like that, I don't know. I yeah. like to have something to play for, you know? Yeah, I guess the danger is going too far because when you have a great drummer, you don't want to... When you have a great drummer, it's, uh, it's like you don't want to put too much in their head because you could be limiting a potentially great idea. Like, I try to not get get them stuck on some, you know, I give a, you know, B plus drum, drum part I wrote when they could come up with an A plus drum part, basically. Yeah. You can't, you can't restrict the guy, right? That there's a thin line there between showing him directions and putting limits to what he can do, right? Restricting him. Yeah. You gotta yeah. be careful too, though. Cause by, by giving stuff I've noticed by giving stuff that's too developed, even if you're not trying to restrict somebody, you're going to, it restricts them just because they get used to it that way. And like, that's how they imagine it. So it's yeah, I have a, I have a cool story for in the hall of the hanging serpents, for example, because I told me how uh, it's the first song. And also we were still starting to see how it would work. Like, uh, would be. And then I, I told me how like, man, so for this song, for us to not go into the decapitated, territory or or you know too much of old and tuned or something like that please don't put any blast beat on that part i know that after the solo you could put a blast there and then he just sent me the whole drums recorded and he said sorry man i put a blast there but believe me it works <laughs> and when i heard it it was brilliant you know? so i thought like okay man you really know what he's doing so, and if i give him some directions he's got he's not going to respect 100 percent at all so yeah well, and I think too, you know, it's like, I think when the song is sent over, it's more about sending the intention, you know, whether yeah. it's me on my iPhone or it's Guilherme sending us, you know, a pretty completed demo. Usually when Guilherme sends me something, says, hey man, here's, 
here's the song, it's ready for bass, like it's ready for bass. And he'll always send me a video of him playing some of the riffs and stuff so we don't have to be on the phone all the time going over, you know, is that a C or a C sharp? I can't tell because of the tuning or it's so fast. What is it, you know? So, um, you know, so it, it, it's, you know, there's an intention and you're right. I mean, look, we're all three pros. We know what we're doing. Um, like probably the most direction Glarmy's ever given me, hey, at this part right here, maybe there's like a little bass break or something. I don't know, maybe do something there, right? And so it's kind of like, okay, that's do something there, right? And it's funny. I listen now as I, you know, practicing the songs again for the tour coming up. You know, a lot of the bass breaks are not these big gnarly things. They're these just kind of simple, open, groovy things, which I love because, I, look, I've spent most of my life just playing a lot of notes. And, you know, I'm done playing a lot of notes if I don't have to play them. You know what I mean? They're fun, and there's times like in Mark of Cain and these things where we're just freaking completely off the chain. But, you know, at the same time, you know, when you're in a big room or a festival or a big setting like that, ma'am, there's power in the simplicity, you know, and um, I like the idea. It, and it's fun because we're a three piece is that there's room for us to each do separate things and, and they don't conflict with each other. Right. As long as the notes that we're playing are sort of legal within, you know, the scale and that, you know, we can do three different things and have it really be musical. And, and also it's still, we're still playing the same song. Uh, so there's been a lot of creativity around that. And I attribute that to, you know, to, to, to being a three piece. The simplicity thing, man, it's, uh, it's physics for why it sounds better, but like it really, I, I really feel like metal, it basically, if you were to just leave metal to its own devices, meaning don't do any mixing, don't do any arranging, like nothing. Just leave it the way it sounds when it's just people playing it in a room. It sounds like garbage. Like it sounds like noise. <laughs> it pretty much is. Like it is noise. Like the amount distortion on everything, like screaming, like even if it's singing, it's aggressive. Like it's coming at you from all angles, all frequencies, all the time. And you have to make very, uh, very deliberate choices to make it sound good, which, uh, you know, in the arrangement, you know, simplifying bass lines so that the, you know, the low end has enough time to properly develop and doesn't, mm. you know, doesn't build on itself. Like, yeah, uh, I found that too in the studio, you know, but especially with a bass, you know, bass takes time. And again, that's why the lower the frequency, you know, you look at PA systems with these folded horns and these reef, well, you know, these reflex systems. And it's like, you know, a bass note takes not just time, but feet or meters yeah, to develop, yep. right? So every time you hit the string, you're essentially killing the previous note that's already expanding and you sort of shut it off and then you're starting another one. So it's like, it just, it never, it's like, it never develops. So, you know, I learned making records years ago. Sometimes you can just play quarter and eighth notes and, you know, G-Man can be sitting there, he can be playing all kinds of gnarly notes and I can play for something really simple and it really gets big, you know? And of course we're dealing with the key of C, so um, from the physics point of view, you know, everything's already 
pretty temperamental, you know, amplifiers and speakers and strings and everything about it is like already going, <laughs> what the fuck, you know, and now we're turning it up and hitting it harder. And, you know, and look, at the end of the day, you know, once the vocal starts, that's the, that's really the thing that matters, you know, and I'm a big thing with storytelling. What's the story? You know, what is this song about? What's the story? You know, can we, what can we hear what's being told? And especially in this kind of very aggressive style of, of metal, I'd like to think that both of our voices, you know, we, we found a chemistry, ironically, as we we're making the record that, you know, these two voices that we can do this sort of answer call thing to, you know, and say like free us all and things like that. We can sort of go back and forth. We can support each other in the choruses, whether it's a chorus I'm singing and, and Glaramade supports or I'm jumping in on sort of hitting, you know, things that are more guttural for him. And my voice adds this sort of clarity for the pitch and the words. So you know, there's, it, it, it's a lot of physics, you know, it, it, it's, and it, and we've got these different dynamics. It's funny was we're rehearsing. The band has a, has a pretty clean sound because everybody's a good player and we play really clean, you know, and that's a very different thing than just turning everything up so that it's all just as heavy and dark and shitty sounding as possible. Um, because the, you know, the bigger the room, the bigger the PA, the better the equipment, uh, and and you know distortion hides a multitude of sins, of course, you know, and and as you sort of clean up your performances, it just translates better, and it makes it something that um, makes it easier for people to hear and grasp onto, and especially a new band like this, we're going to be out playing some big shows that you know we're the new guys that people probably haven't heard. The art idea is to play, so they go buy the record. They probably don't already own the record, and they're coming to see us play. So for us, it's about, you know, giving them a performance that they can take back to their playlists and, and add it. Cause it was like, that was live. That was really good. I like that. Let me, let me add that to my playlist now. So when you're coming up with those arrangements and I think that three piece, like, I mean, there's a lot of great three pieces that have managed to sound enormous. I mean, Muse comes to, Muse comes to mind as far as like, an enormous sounding three piece. But the mm -hmm. thing about them is kind of like what you were just saying. It's not just one vocalist. There's, I mean, there's one lead vocalist, but it's not just one vocalist. There's multiple vocalists going throughout the whole thing. The bass player isn't just playing a low version of what the guitar is playing. He's playing something different. Like you were just saying, you guys are all able to do something different that still works within the song. So like in reality, it's not, it's just three humans, but I don't know if your vocalist does uh, I mean, if your drummer does vocals too. So that to me is at least five different elements mm -hmm. that can be going, that can be tweaked in the arrangement at the same time. I've definitely noticed that three pieces are forced to be more creative because <laughs> they have to. They got to got to make the most of it. They don't have two guitars to you know to eat up all that space. Well, there's some songs that are pretty just right off the head, you know, like, you know, to hell and back, don't go mad, get even Mark Kane, you know, these, you know, they're, they kind of what you, what you hear is what you get. And then there's these other moments, um, walk with me forever. Of course, there's a lot of space. And that's something that I think, you know, the more educated you become as a musician, the more mature you become in your craft, you learn how to deal with space and make space matter and make the notes, you know, just the intro, is this deliberate build and it's very ethereal. It's got emotion into just the guitar parts. You haven't even heard a voice yet. And suddenly there's this ambiance that's created 
And, you know, I give that to Guilherme. You know, he did that at the beginning of To Hell and Back, also in Severance, and then also in Walk With Me Forever. There's these, these moments where, you know, clean tone, big space, that's uncomfortable for metalheads. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because metalheads, you got fucking turn it up and just drive hard and fast. And like you say, let's just be as noisy as possible to just blur out any consciousness of emotion, you know? And and I think that, you know, with our record, we were able to not only be, you know, really intentional with the heavy stuff, but, you know, we, we really stepped out and took some chances to do some stuff that, um, you know, it, it is really expanding. And I think that I personally, I, I felt great when Guilherme would bring these songs in. I mean, Free Us All, I remember hearing it and I'm going, this is bizarre. There's like this swing, like, and I used to play in jazz band and my bad jazz band teacher would always yell at me, go, Ellison, stop making everything sound like Led Zeppelin. Learn how to swing. Like he was, you know, he was like a real big jazz head. And so I had to just, you know, take the rock and roll hat off and go over to that. So we got free us all. Next thing you know, I'm like, well, fuck, I guess walking a baseline seems like the most obvious thing to do here. Right. So we're doing that, you know, and then there toward the end of it, it's freaking the Almond brothers. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's Dickie Betts and Dwayne Almond, you know, and, and, and Glenry's playing all these, these really cool in, in memory of Elizabeth Reed kind of guitar parts. And, <laughs> and the song is so expanded and live in the room as we're developing it now for the stage we're going man this is one song where you know this is like our you know instead of grateful dead grateful dieth you know where we can be really expanded out into really you know it does the song doesn't have to be so literal like it is on the record we can sort of open it up and riff and 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 expand on on this song when we have the time in the set to do so can we talk about those clean parts some because uh for instance, on To Hell and Back, that's the first thing I heard, actually. And I'm always really impressed by well-written, uh, well-layered clean parts. Um, it, it's one of the things I actually like about older metal that kind of disappeared to some degree. So when you're writing those, are they written as part of the song or are they, they their own thing and then you find a place for them like is it built into the, the song itself from the get-go yeah man uh actually i really really like uh stratocaster clean sounds you know like i think that a strat neck pickup you know it's it's one of the things that always works and there's there's nothing better than that for some some setups and there will never be right <clears throat> I, I, I really really love that but the same thing I love, I love clean neck pickups for, for humbuckers as well. You know, I think there is something special about that. Um, and if you throw in some reverb, some some delay, some atmosphere there, chorus and stuff, it's something that really works. I love that kind of thing, you know. As, and uh, you nailed it when you said that back in the days, you know, metal, we had that. And uh, even David mentioning Almond Brothers and things like that, I really like the old bands, the old school stuff. I like this, uh, to watch some videos here that guys just plug into an amp and the band sounds massive as just as they are, you know? And I think that adding dynamics to it, having clean parts and having distorted parts and mixing them and progressing there and having pauses on the right place, I think all of this creates some dynamics to the storytelling, right? So this, this with the clean parts, it's, it's pretty obvious in my mind when I'm trying to write something. You know, I really like the songs that they're coming blasting and then they stop and then they have like a clear part right there. You know, um, Black Sabbath, they have a lot of this, you know, 
I love the Black Sabbath. Sometimes you're hearing a song and then they stop and they go to a direction that makes it it totally clean and insane, like symptoms of the universe, you know? Mm-hmm. That clean part, that acoustic part there, it's, it's genius thing, you know? That song is blasting around, maybe one of the first trash metal riffs. And then you have all that sonic power and then it comes to that to that acoustic part that is just, you know, it's, it blew my mind first time I, I heard that, but it's what surprises me is that still blows me every time I hear this for the past, you know, 30 years. So I enjoy having this, this clean parts there, you know, especially because I like humbuckers on neck position, uh, clean, you know. It, there's something there that I, I like to work with. Sometimes I just sit here and put the guitar on the... I put the guitar clean on the neck and I start doing something and it sounds great. And I'm like, okay, so let's do something about it. Yeah. Makes sense. Like it, it really is a, I I don't know, underutilized aspect of guitar that has been utilized in previous generations, but there's a clean tone that I hear with modern bands. Now it's not that, and I, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, everything sucks now. Everything was great then. Like, I love a lot of modern music, but there's a specific type of clean tone that I guess younger bands are getting that is very different. It sounds more like you're at a spa. You're at a spa listening to like crystal clear cleans. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that sound. I really like warmer, highly layered cleans that are kind of in line with what you're talking about. So... I really appreciated hearing that. One last thing I wanted to ask you guys about, because I know we're running out of time, is I'm curious about what's your process with ideas that don't make it. Because I know, Jeremy, you're saying you need to be cool with something before you're going to send it off to them. And sometimes you'll write something and then you put drums to it and it's like, eh, not so great. So what I'm wondering is both on a song level and an individual part level, and I'm wondering for both of you, when something doesn't make it to a song, like say a riff, like it gets cut from a song, is it in the trash forever? Or does that mean just didn't make it in that song? Or like if a song, you finish a song, but then it just doesn't make it to the record for whatever reason, is it dead forever? Um, like what's your, what's your overall philosophy on parts that got cut? Well, my thought is, is, Music is spirit, right? It's energy. That's all it is, right? We don't even come up with it. We're just the channel that flows through us. That's why, why is it that on any minute you could just pick up your guitar, something comes out, other days, nothing comes out, right? And it, it isn't just about practicing. It's just, a, it's kind of about being available for it to flow through. That's why they call it inspiration, right? So everything's created for a reason. The fact that it didn't make it into a song, it didn't make it on the record, to me just says it's an ingredient you keep on the shelf and there'll be a time to pull it down and add it in. And while it may not have been part of this uh, particular recipe, there's another time and a place for it. And I think, you know, like Guillermo was talking earlier, you know, got these sort of ideas cataloged, as we all do, with folders and folders of ideas uh, with various names on it, you know, Metallica-sounding thing, Scorpion-sounding thing, you know, Judas Priest riff, you know, whatever we call them, right? You know, Sunday afternoon, May 23rd, 2023, whatever it is, right? It's... uh, and you go back and you listen to them with fresh ears and you go, oh my God, that is so freaking cool. That totally works now with this new part that we're working on. 
And sometimes things don't always work in the same band. You know, sometimes you mm-hmm. take something and you set it aside and you go, God, you know, this is a really cool part. Definitely not right for this group, but I'll set it over here and maybe some other thing will come along. You know, I had riffs sitting around from a riff tape from Countdown to Extinction from like 1991 or 92 that I used in a band called F5, like 20 years later, you know, and to and in a drop D tuning, you know, suddenly those ideas 20 years later in a new tuning with a bunch of younger guys, it worked and it was a thing. And, you know, even, even here, I think I can say that, you know, I have this folder of stuff I had recorded uh, that I sent over to Guilherme. And, you know, again, it's sort of a, it's sort of just bubbling on the back burner there. Um, some of those ideas may work here. Some of them in a new tuning may be perfect. Some of them may just be like, yeah, cool idea. Not the right setting, you know? Um, and same with lyrics, you know, sometimes there'll be a lyric and a story and you go, man, I'd love to present this to the guys, you know, given in the right context, the right story, the right setting, the right outlet. It's a beautiful story to be told, you know? Um, So a lot of this stuff is, I think, just feeling comfortable with each other to bring it in the room and just go, hey, I don't know if this fits, da 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 And again, to be mature enough to go, okay, maybe not now, you know, Um, that it's, it's something that we set aside for another day. And, you know, ultimately, for when you're making a record, the best songs win. And they also have to be cohesive and tell the story. I think with To Hell and Back, we really created a narrative that from the needle drop to the end of Severance, you know, you hear, okay, here we are, here we are, we're going into hell, bang, then it hits. And now you're going through this journey and you're going through all the emotions, the torments and all of the, all of everything that goes with that. And by the end, you come to Severance and we titled it Severance. Mihal came up with the name for that because this is it now. Now that part is done. We've been to hell. We're back. Goodbye. You know. And now we move on. And I think it sets a nice tone for album number two <laughs> to start. Um, you know. And 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 so you know what I love about our band is that it's it's a story. You know. And it's not just a bunch of random selections of music. It's like it. It's a masterfully composed. Um, you know, when I played an orchestra band as a tenor saxophone player in high school, you know, these were, there was a movement. Every song is like a movement within a greater, uh, greater symphony. And, and I'd like to think that that's what we're creating here with this band. Well said. What about you, Guillermo? What's your, uh, what's your take on ideas that don't quite make it? Man, I agree hundred percent with David. I, I don't have even much to, to add here because he said pretty much what, what happens uh, in reality when we're writing songs and how they fit, how they fit together and how they fit into the context. You know, actually, this this uh, folder that David's talking about, some riffs he had, uh, I have this folder here, and some of the songs I already put them together, added some drums, and to be honest, it was a little bit too much for this album because me and me always sit down. We were like, man, to work on three, four more songs before we go to Germany, maybe. This could be like half or at least one third for the next album. You know, one, one third of the next album idea is already here in a folder done. And also, I think it's about having proper time to work on that idea as well, you know? Yeah. Because sometimes a, a simple riff it can work uh, very well. You, you listen it with the guitar and it's already there. But sometimes when you put a complete idea, then it makes total sense. If you hear just the guitar, it's just like, okay, so this is just a. 
This is just two, three notes. But you know, if you listen to Roots, Bloody Roots from Sepultura, that's two notes, man. And yeah, guy. It's all context. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but everything together made that thing <laughs> massive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's two notes. Well, you know, and it's funny because when you write a song, I mean, they, you think about it in the Hall of the Hanging Serpents, that song's like a yeah. year and a half old now, right? So we've already written a whole bunch of other songs, but just the time it takes to deliver an album, you promote it, you set it up, you put it out. Now we're going to finally go on tour and go play these songs live. You know, that's the one thing we haven't done yet is play a show. So once you start playing shows, you get an entirely different feel about mm -hmm. what works, what doesn't. Sometimes you go, man, this song is great. We should definitely have some more of that on the next record because that really connects with the audience. So that, you know, I'm excited about being together this summer because, you know, Calermi and I have already, you know, have some plans in our schedule to just open up folder for album number two and just start working it. Cause there's a ton of stuff sitting in there that we've been sending around to each other, lyrics and music and otherwise. And just, you know, see, look, and, and it may not even be the right time this summer to get into that mind space. You know what I mean? It, we may need another, we may need time away from live shows to just sort of digest and process. And then all of a sudden, one day out of nowhere, you know, the ideas will start flying again. So I think, I think a lot of it is, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Gar Samuelson's brother, many years ago, I was over at his house and this was, you know, early, you know, early and mid eighties. Right. And, um, and we were talking about creativity because I was kind of trying to find my own footing, you know, within the band at that time. And just kind of as a young, you know, uh, musician and I'm in California, everybody seems to have a song and they're creating or something. Everyone's got a, a script for a movie or something. You know what I mean? And I just felt like, what the hell? I got nothing. What am I doing here? You know? And I remember him saying to me, he said, he goes, I think the deal with creativity is to just start the process and always keep it going, to just yeah. always be creating. And man, I, that was probably the most valuable advice I have ever been given is just keep it going. You know, I have guitars all, all over the place. You know, I've seen G-Man's apartment. He's got stuff yeah. sitting around all the time and on tour. You know, we always got a guitar with us. I usually carry a bass with me pretty much everywhere I go now. And I don't really like writing on bass that much, to be honest with you. I love performing with the bass. I don't really like writing with it as much. But, you know, always just kind of having, you know, uh, I come up with lyrics probably more than anything when I'm when I'm traveling. You know, I'm looking out the plane or the window of an airplane or a train or whatever. And just watching the, the landscape go by, ideas start formulating, you know, or I'm walking around in a hotel room by myself and ideas start coming or you're at the gym. Yeah. doing something, you know, working and all of a sudden ideas come. And so, you know, these, I think the thing is, is just, again, that's why this <laughs> is my daw. <laughs> you know, it's just always capturing, I'll just capture it and put it down. So at least you've, you've captured that moment and don't ever let any ideas sort of just scatter off into the universe, just capture them and have them because you never know when you might need them. I really like the, the, the idea of thinking about making songs as, as cooking good food. You know, sometimes, man, I think that you have to, to write something. And I, I have an expression that is like, you, you let it marinate, you know, like yep. <laughs> when they prepare the chicken and they leave it on the lamb on there for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for a whole night. Sometimes I like to do this with songs. You know, I go until a certain point where my brain is totally fried when I, I hit the wall with it. And then uh, when I hit the wall of the song, I'm like, okay, so now it's time to let this song rest for one week. Next week, when I open it, I'm going to finish that. And usually it works, you know, because it has the proper feeling of marinating the meat. You know, when you, when you open the project again, it's softer. You, you're 
you know, you have more ideas, open more channels, <laughs> you know. And I, and I really, and I really like to get this song and, uh, and open my microphone here and get some reverb and invert the wave, you know, reverse and stuff. And sometimes I, man, sometimes I'm doing a song and I just go to my microphone and I do like, and I go there, put a lot of reverb and <laughs> reverse the track. And then it adds some effects there that make the song happen. I don't know how, but this process of recording the song it's and weird, it isn't there, it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it works, man. Sometimes it just works, you know. So I like to do this kind of little things. It's like putting a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. You put it on the fridge, and then you put it in the oven, and then you, you know, this there. There's these little things that adds to the music, you know. The great thing about working with a daw as opposed to cooking is uh, you can't undo. If you uh, you put too much salt, <laughs> playlisting, yeah, playlist this shit, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't desalt it. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's good though. No rules, just uh, keep it going. I think that's a that's so true because um, everyone that I've talked to, you know, throughout my career and also doing these podcasts and then my own personal experience is that. The hardest thing is getting started. But once you have momentum, you know, some ideas will be good. Some ideas will be great. Some ideas will be okay. Some will be terrible. But the point is that uh, the more ideas you just keep on putting out there, the more often that you're going to be arriving to those good and great ideas. Um, the less often you do it, basically, I mean, the less often you're going to come up with cool stuff. But Guys, I think this is a good place to end it. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to hang out. And uh, I love I love the band. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good chat today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Man. Anytime, anytime.